Welcome back to the Everyday Story Podcast. Last episode, we began a conversation with Dr. David Wallace, a New Testament professor at Regent University, about an article he recently wrote on the theme of friendship in the letter to Philemon. Dr. Wallace explained to us how the culture understood friendship in Paul's day, and he explained to us how um, that understanding of friendship really affects and explains Paul's appeals to Philemon in his letter. In this episode, we continue that conversation, and we really dive into how we can live well today based off the content uh, of the letter to Philemon. We're going to pick up our conversation right as Dr. Wallace gives us a caution about equating slavery in Paul's day with the slavery in our own history. Let's join Dr. Wallace now. I want to make it clear that the New Testament writers were not for slavery. Uh, in fact, Paul says in Corinthians, if you can get, if you can earn your freedom, if you can get your freedom, take it. And I, I, I in the article, I use that sort of window into Paul's thinking because that's opposite Aristotle. So Paul doesn't just abide by what Aristotle thinks. Christ is his, is his motivation. I mean, all the Old Testament understanding wrapped around his understanding of Jesus when he, when he met Jesus and, and was given visions, later visions of, of Christ and, and revealed to whatever those were in 2 Corinthians 12, 4. But it, that's what drives him is Christ. And so friendship is just a, uh, you know, when you, um, some people might have, in addition to speech, may have taken business communication and you can do the indirect method or the direct method, or you can have this template for this kind of letter. And if, you know, if you're, you're praising someone in, in a letter, there, you have this form. Well, Paul is just using one of those forms. Christ is really the focus. He's not a rhetorician. He has a mission. And he loves both of these men, and he sees he, he's, he's Paul's humbling himself, and ultimately he wants to say we're all brothers in Christ, and so therefore let's work toward that direction, and if freedom is that is fulfills that, then let's move towards freedom, and so uh, I just want to be clear that Paul is not for slavery at all, he's for freedom, and the issue really in this letter is not about whether slavery is right or wrong. I know that people want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the question came uh, with the impetus for this response was, is this letter, I was asked, was this letter about slavery and mm-hmm. whether it's right or wrong or freedom? And the, the letter doesn't really address that because the, the culture of that day, I mean, that's like saying uh, something like, well, everybody that works can have $30 minimum wage. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't do that to a culture without it having a, a, a negative effect. And you just, he, Paul wasn't trying to subvert culture and, and, and have a, a, a social issue. What he's concerned about is Jesus is coming back very soon. And, and let me speak for Paul, and I'm going to just paraphrase, and those that don't agree with me, that's fine. But he's saying, look, I've got to win as many people to Jesus as I possibly can that are Gentiles so that my Jewish brothers can come to know Jesus. I got to reach that full number and participate in that because Christ is coming back like in a week or in a year or sometime soon. And so all of my energy and my calling is to, is gospel. So Paul would filter this through, well, what would further the gospel? Your freedom or staying where you are and serving the Lord where you are? So I really don't think we need to project this back into our own history in America and look at slavery the same way. It was actually more like an indentured servant. 
So, yeah. So would a quick way of summarizing what you've just told us be that Paul is aware of how the culture he lives in operates and he's leveraging the cultural ways of thinking to bring about Christ-likeness and like the furthering of the kingdom of God where he's at. And maybe that's, you know, a segue into, into how we should start to think about, you know, Philemon's value no, that's for perfect. us. Is that, to think that's through. That's perfect right there. Like that's to be a aware, good summary. <laughs> to be aware of, of what our, how our culture thinks and what they value and what are culturally appropriate ways of um, encouraging and pushing people to think about how the gospel could be seen um, the most, how we could live the best. And so we're, we're trying to think through, okay, um, we have a certain way of that friendship operates. We have a certain way that, you know, whatever operates in our culture and we can use those uh, cultural conventions um, to further the kingdom of God. And we want to do that wisely. Okay, that well, well, you know... Wait, before you answer that yeah. question, so can I just tag on to your, your thought there? And maybe what you could do as you pull your thoughts together on that one, David, is just tell us, okay, so what, what do you think Paul is saying to Philemon in verse 21? Confident of your obedience... I write to you knowing that you will do even more oh, than I say. You are, you are <laughs> zinging me with a difficult question. If you that was just a search question. for any of these. No, no, I thought you set it up perfectly. That's why I okay. thought it would be a good serve. Uh, it was an easy folly Jack, to you. Jack, I know where you're coming from. <laughs> Putting me on the hot seat. That's right. Well, 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 why, would, well. why else would you have me here? That's right. Exactly. That's what, what our listeners want. Well, which question do you want me to answer first? Well, go with Ben's and then, then we'll come then back to come that back one. To Okay, that's appropriate. Well, first of all, um, it's, this this uh, sounds correcting. I'm and I'm. I no, would just say I would. No, it's not. I'm not trying to correct. I would just have us uh, look at ourselves because this is the way we think as Western thinkers. And Paul was a Hebrew. I mean, he had. Um, he 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 did his 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 letters are not. They don't fit the rhetorical divisions so neatly. So people want to think of him as a Greek. He, he, he was fluent in Greek, but he, he was trained in Jerusalem, and he's a Hebrew thinker. All of his letters have Hebrew thought rhymes. And so what, what I'd like you to see is instead of the words leveraging and pushing, this is like relaxing for Paul. He is a missionary, He's a gifted teacher. Jack, you remind me of someone who's a gifted teacher and, and a missionary. So, and I know you have that in your system, in your in your spiritual gifting. But one of the things about uh, missionaries that are gifted teachers is they are just natural at looking for ways to translate what they know into the world that they're communicating. Mm-hmm. Connection points. You know, yeah. uh, it you know, reminds me of the Texan in France, you know, hey there, poor... Yeah, <laughs> makes me laugh thinking about Polyvue Francais. Don't you know French? <laughs> so it's like that's like not Paul. <laughs> so Paul would wear the French hat. And he would keep his Bible and his scroll, and he would learn some French. And he wouldn't try to be perfect at it. But what, since he knew the concepts of the gospel, and since he knew Christ, he would naturally find. Uh, symbols off the shelves, whether it be the culture, the environment, the food, whatever it was, he'd naturally look for ways to find metaphors or truths 
to to move the truth into someone's language. And to him, it was just as relaxing as we are having coffee here. Uh, just he just did it naturally. And what took work was the traveling, and the expenses, and the suffering, uh, and what he had to come up against. But in the actual uh, putting a letter like this together, I think was something he it, it would be challenging for a lot of people. For him, I think it was just natural and motivating. And so I don't think he was leveraging it. I think it was very simple for him. Mm-hmm. He sees it. Right. That's right. really helpful. That's extremely helpful. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, why is that helpful? Well, it's just like, it, it just helps shape the way we think about being responsible actors today. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It, mm-hmm. So yeah. take that concept and let me ask you, how would... Uh, because you have a similar heart for the gospel. What what would that say to those? And we don't always imitate the biblical characters, but Paul does say imitate me, particularly when he's imitating Christ. So what is it about Christ or Paul, or Paul's imitating Christ, that would be natural for us to do this without being that Texan in in France? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The expectation would be where? It would be on... uh, what we naturally can do, uh, I think 96% of persons are nervous about sharing their faith. But if, uh, so what I wanted to ask you, what you thought would be a way that we could relax and do what Paul did. Hmm. Well, well, maybe I, while you're thinking, maybe yeah, I yeah, can. Yeah, give, give me some um, time. Well, you know, actually we're, we're dealing with some of this in the, the missions and evangelism class I'm teaching right now. And we're reading a great book by Sam Chan on evangelism in a skeptical world. And, you know, he talks about, um, you know, really, which is more of a, you know, a millennial kind of postmodern approach of like, you know, using hospitality, Um, you know, and he he has this thing where it's, um, you know, gospel, excuse me, it's coffee, dinner, gospel. So in other words, uh-huh. you, yeah. know, you have coffee first, get to know the person. Right. Then you take it to another level where you have dinner, and there's where you can have a deeper conversation uh, about the gospel. And you're you're now you're in a setting where it's comfortable and natural. I mean, we we all have to eat. We're neighbors. We're living in a similar community. Why not? You know, have some coffee together. And, and what's have, the third level? It would be uh, it's coffee, dinner, and then gospel. So. Paul is a friend of this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, is he, he doesn't just meet him. Mm-hmm. He to, to be friends, according to Aristotle, you have to spend time together. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have some of this absence language. And he even throws it in there with, with Onesimus, mm-hmm. is tying it in that they're friends, mm-hmm. they should be friends or, or, or brothers. So uh, P- Paul is uh, comfortable with Philemon. He's not, there's no animosity. There's a deep, rich uh, connection and it would be like if uh, two neighbors that knew each other really well, let's say we lived across the street from each other, and I my wheelbarrow wheel uh, blew out, and you had two wheelbarrows, I'm gonna just call you, hey Jack, uh, can I borrow I your wheelbarrow? Yeah. And what'd you, what would you what would you say? Sure. Yeah, and that's I'll bring it right over. So it's a little bit more than that because this this is actually a very valuable financial decision that Philemon would make, and then there are other people involved. But Paul's just simply pulling on something that's already there. So you guys took my you guys took my answers. I was gonna say <laughs> eating together. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. something in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's hard to be enemies across the table over food. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're gonna have to work stuff out and mm-hmm. get to know each other and laugh and tell stories and like that's something that I think we um, naturally understand. Like right, like and mm-hmm. you know us Baptists, you know, bars and taverns and places are are known for being communal places mm-hmm. where. Uh, connections are made and deep friendships happen. You know, like, so I, I think we get that, but we don't really use that enough. Mm-hmm. We don't think creatively no, about how can we add people into the stuff we already do. I think the way I typically thought of Christian duty and what living the gospel looked like was adding a lot of extra activities to what I already do. Exactly. But really, I think, you know, through the example of Paul and other people, we're, we're seeing. No, like the Christian life is lived through what we already do. Mm-hmm. And we just need to have like some imagination to think about what that looks like. So mm-hmm. we all eat, we all mm-hmm. hopefully exercise, we all have some kind of hobby or activity we like to do. Yeah, together. I think you're right, Ben. This is not a this letter is not an outward focus of evangelism. It's an in-house uh relational letter. And Paul is doing that. And he's saying, What what resources can I use? I mean, he'd be a great Christian counselor, Paul. Um, you know, he. What what resources can I use, and what language can I use that's already there on the shelf, so that we can have harmony, redemption, with uh, as brothers. You know, and in a, in a world that doesn't see it the way we do. So he's he's borrowing some of the templates, but not all right, of them. Right. Yeah. He pushes back where the gospel requires him. Yes. To dump some stuff off and modify. Yes. Right, he's he's saying, you know, uh, and and comrades could be friends, people that work together can be friends, and so he's he's pulling at some different levels, not only family but comrades and even father son, which you can another way to look at this is is, and I don't agree with this one, but I think someone could argue it. I in the article I lay it out as a possibility where a son would then have to give more to make it equal, and if he's Paul's spiritual son. I don't think Paul's really pushing that. But the whole point is that there's equality. Uh, yeah. So I, now I want you to answer Jack's question. Yeah. So, okay. So how do you process or how would you understand in light of all of this conversation? Before, before I do that. Yeah. Um, another thing about this letter, and I think that people that are listening would benefit is where do you fit in the letter? Because we have three different people. Uh, of course, we have a house church. There's others that are listed. Uh, and it's interesting, he brings in some other people who are fellow soldiers. And if you look up those words, you'll see that Paul is, again, using this idea of friendship or compa- fellow compatriots to build uh, an equality there. But who are you in the letter? Are you someone like Onesimus that has done the wrong thing and ran away or, uh, you know, you're hurting because you don't have a home and you find yourself in the same place of prison that Paul is and you've been... You've come to know Christ and you feel the warmth of Christ's redemption, but you need help to get back into things and you don't know how to get there. Or are you Philemon that you're established Christian and you have a good network and a good support group, but there's some things in your life that you may not have really extended the grace and redemption <laughs> that God wants you to. Everybody raise your hand. <laughs> I mean, we're Philemon yeah. uh, in one hand's hand and we're Onesimus in the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, or are we a mature Christian like Paul that is actually put in a situation to risk rejection, to risk uh, countercultural responses? 
to lose a house church maybe even? Uh, are, you, are, you, are you at the mature level where you're willing to risk a connection that's meaningful? So there's a spectrum here of Christian brothers, and I, the re- made me think of that, that's Ben, good. is when you that's brought helpful. up that this is not outward thinking, this is in-house thinking. And it's the application of the gospel to interpersonal relationships. But we can't leave out the friendship thing because it, that's the currency. It's, I think it's the main currency of the letter. I think it's the, it's the backdrop. If you started with the painting and most painters start with one color behind it and then they add to it here and there, the one color behind it, it's not everything, but I think it's the backdrop. Mm-hmm. The strong idea, the strong, strong theme. idea, mm-hmm. yeah, the strong theme, yeah. It seems makes like, for a good article. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Don't solve everything. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, I think this is you know what Paul is doing in Philemon, and you correct me, push back, whatever. I see. I won't. <laughs> I see done in other parts of the scripture. In other words, so here is Paul living, you know, almost like uh, you know he's incarnated. You know, if you want to use that kind of incarnational line. theology, he's, yeah, he's he's living. He's a in representative this, of yeah of, of the uh, of Christ in him. Yeah, Christ so you know, he's me. living that way. You know, yeah. he's he's uh, aware of engaging, applying, using all of the you know the cultural norms, and he's he's you know using them in this in this relationship with Philemon. I mean, Moses made use of of literary devices and techniques in the writing of the of the Pentateuch, so that. You know, I think of the covenant. Share, please, will yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think of the Let's covenant. Let's have a little lesson. You know, I think of the covenant idea. <laughs> yeah. And I know that not everybody's, you know, in favor of that, but I just think of the the covenant sort of motif and theme that he uses to communicate and how... So, he, so the, in other words... I think you're talking about how he borrowed mm-hmm. he, uh, he, some of the literary... Devices of the... Of, background. Of the ancient Near East yeah. to... to you know, put the content or, or of God's God word. Yeah, or God did put the content of God's word in an understandable, communicative form, so right. people could understand the, the nature of the yeah. relationship between God and man. Yeah, that's what sermons are. They they follow the basic speech principles. It doesn't mean that the speech principles are inspired. It's just that's the way we digest information, and the culture uses God's order and creation to to be successful. And sometimes God will use mm-hmm. what a secular a uh, literature person or uh, art to right, and, and so there is yeah. there is the benefit to understanding not only the history. I, did that, you know I'm trying to get a, a second invitation by having these extra side routes? <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome anytime, okay. David. I will definitely. I'm keep enjoying you on myself. I'm yeah, like, a, I can see. Then we get some side routes. We yeah. get some spinoffs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, we can see we need to book him again. You can submit your resume. You know? That's right. Yeah, you can put this okay. on. Your, this is good for tenure, David. For okay, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, let's, but not anyway, bring, let's not bring that in. Yeah. But, but you know, in other words, that the the characters of the scripture were very much aware of and in tune with the norms of communication yeah. and how relationships. It wouldn't worked. work if if God didn't use the norms, right. would it? It'd no. be too. It'd be too against the grain and too. Shocking. So, uh, you know, developing a skill set for ourselves and in, in being able to interpret the scriptures carefully and accurately, you know, we want to keep expanding our awareness of historical background as well as literary devices that are helpful to understand the scriptures. That's helpful to a, a stu- someone who's studying the Bible. It's not primary, no. but it's it's secondary, and it can it can 
it can feed back into the meaning right. of, of what's primary. Kind of like a, a, a sonnet, a Shakespeare sonnet. It has a form and a style. Mm-hmm. You could put it in paragraph form mm-hmm. and it'd still be beautiful. But if you really want to understand what the author intended, you, you'd have to know what a sonnet was. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you'd have to know a little bit about the structure of friendship. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and just listening to this podcast is enough for you to re read Philemon and get more out of uh, of of Christ's intention mm-hmm. through Paul in this letter. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you maybe an unfair question, and if you're not prepared to answer it, then you can ignore it. Um, <laughs> do you think that... <laughs> do you think that this friendship idea uh, is found other places in the New Testament besides Philemon? Yeah, so absolutely. Parables that Jesus told... Uh, f- like uh, into like when we get into Palestine and the Gospels, not so much, because they were. Uh, I mean, there would be there'd be some. I mean, Greco-Roman culture permeated everything, but there was resistance to that uh, imbibing of the Greek culture. But it still was there in their furniture and the way they did things, and their seating arrangements. And I mean, it, it was it. it, it Greco-Roman culture was pervasive, but not as much outside of Jerusalem and Palestine. So uh, I would say like Philippians has a strong friendship letter. Uh, Anytime you see the word koinonia. um, Now, here's the thing. Something like we talked about virtue, you have to be virtuous. That may or may not be friendship because the whole, whole, all of society was built on an honor-shame Culture. So, just because you see virtue doesn't mean it's it's uh, trying to encourage friendship, currency, connection that we've been talking about today. Uh, but yeah, you can see friendship elements, and it's good to look for. Uh, and uh, if you did read the article, you'd pick up on some of those keywords to look for. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm not trying to sell my article. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about on the negative side, the dark side of friendship? So I'm thinking about Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15. Da-dum, da-dum, yeah. da-dum, <laughs> what do we do da-dum. with that in light of this? Well, I, do- I don't think Paul was driven by the friendship context. I think Paul simply borrows as a missionary. He's he's intelligent. God chose someone very intelligent, very logical. He naturally wants to choose, and he does this in all of his letters, he chooses words and phrases and concepts that be familiar to that audience. So if it's France, he'd talk about the Eiffel Tower. And he'd use French terms. He'd throw some of those things in. But you wouldn't say that Paul was French or that he would speak French somewhere else. So uh, I don't think Paul is... Um, I don't think he'd be thinking of, of, of these concepts with Barnabas, although Barnabas was a uh, Greek-speaking Jew that became a Christian. Yeah. Are you trying to bring that one in? That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, you still didn't. Have, you just still, still didn't. didn't tell. I, you, maybe I'm trying to avoid that question. Yeah. No. No. That's good. Well, no. I was just trying to think of <laughs> I know different where you're angles. Going to now. I, I was trying to think of the different angles. On I think this that's whole... a valid question. Yeah. Uh, we'd have to have more of their conversation right. to know right. with John Mark how that turned out. Right. That's that seems like something uh, that was uh, um, abrupt and a, a, a genuine conflict. Yeah. Because it, it it doesn't have that feeling of resolution in no, scripture. No, it, well, it until seems until much to, later. Yeah, it seems like it gets resolved so later. So I I yeah. think if if there was any friendship dialogue going on, it wasn't successful. Yeah. So okay, going back to verse twenty one, of 
What does 21 mean to the, re, to the listener? <laughs> yeah, verse 21. With regard to... Uh, says, so, have, in other words, what do you think... Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that also you will go beyond what I ask. At the same time, prepare for me a room, for I hope on account of your prayers I will be given back to you. You hear that? I'll be given back to you. It sounds so flowery. <laughs> yeah. You know, but he's, he's just simply... He's, 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 he's rowing in the same motion of that friendship concept. So I think what you want to ask me is, what does he mean by verse 21, and does he mean freedom yeah. for Onesimus? Yeah, so it's, do you think he got his freedom? And, you I'm going to have to get a drink of water after yeah. that. Um, well, because I'm, I'm thinking about um, just the whole process, and I'll let you talk. But, no, go. Yeah, but I'm, I'm thinking about the, the way you've built the argument and have illustrated the appeal, the, the friendship currency, etc., you know, it seems like there is this, the, the ultimate outcome is um, Onesimus is received back by Philemon. That, that is the, I mean, if you look at the two general requests leading, uh, you know, with these, um, this sort of what, what, Ones- what Philemon is going to receive back and he gets to this specific request, you know, treat him as you would treat me, receive him as you'd receive me. Yeah, so that That's rec- the ultimate Climax here in this letter. Yeah. Receive him as you'd see, receive me, which is as a friend and a brother. So that implies he's been forgiven. Would you say? Yeah, it's not just hospital. It's not it, just when you mention hospitality. By the way, hospitality gets some of its meaning from the friendship context. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Jewish culture, you you would eat with people if they were clean and had clean food. In the Greco-Roman culture, they weren't just thinking about clean and unclean. Uh, they were thinking about friendship and hospitality. And so there'd be some pressure uh, in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, and hospitality is a, a whole other concept. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, part of hospitality is, especially if you're friends, there was a higher expectation of hospitality. And so Paul's expecting that for his family member, mm-hmm. which is Onesimus. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think what to, to be real direct, and for those that are curious, and maybe even to explain why this is important, there's just been so much discussion by scholars over whether Paul is asking Onesimus to be freed. Mm-hmm. And so my conclusion is somewhere between um, freedom and being let go to be service of the gospel. So I don't think that Paul is coming right out and saying, you need to free him. I think it's, he's saying at some point he needs to be freed so he can do gospel service. I'm giving... He, God's returning to you so much, uh, Philemon, that the th- I'm asking that, number one, you receive him as, re- as you receive me, but I'm leaving it open for you to make this decision. And here's the other thing about friendship. Okay, you didn't pressure your friend to give. And here's another thing. You gave the person the sort, or sort of glory or the virtuous um, opportunity. So Paul is... He's throwing a softball to Philemon and saying, if you do this, you get the reward. Paul's not saying, here, let me demand this and I get the reward. He's saying, if I make this easy for you, you get the gold medal. You get the honor that's due you in Christ. And so when he says, uh, in other words, the ambiguity is really an opportunity for Philemon. But I don't think he's saying you need to free him no, that's, that's right away. And I think that's fair. I think he's saying down the road, I would like him to serve with me in the gospel. But then it comes back to 
well, there's other servants in this household. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think Paul is making, he's not saying you need to free everybody. And some right. people would like to think that. Well, as I recall from the article, you you brought in this whole idea of social status is really not the critical issue. So freedom from slavery is not the the, the main point. It, it, not with Paul. Not with Paul. And because we're all slaves to Christ. But And social status didn't limit God using you for his purposes, which I think is is a helpful reminder. But I guess I'm just teasing it out, David and Ben, to, okay, how would I how would I use this or how would I understand this in my working relationships? So if I'm wronged, you know, in a sense, what I see happening here is, you know, receive that person back, forgive that person, and get on with serving in the gospel. You know, kind of an idea. It's more it's it's more than that in that he's saying You've got a brother in the Lord right, here. Right, right, right. You have something that's eternal. Right. You not only have something temporary, but you have something eternal. And I, think of X squared. With Paul, the gospel's exponential. And you know, in the Old Testament, the uh, the Ten Commandments, when, you know, four generations of punishment, mm -hmm. but how many generations of mercy? Right. A thousand. Mm -hmm. And that's exponentially more. Mm -hmm. So there's no middle of the road with the gospel. Right. And so Paul is saying... If you make this decision, which is honorable, and I, as a friend, I'm letting you have the honor, mm -hmm. when you do this, it's going to be exponential for everybody. Right, right. Uh, But we don't know any more than that what this looks like in terms of the other people in his household. <clears throat> and at what point does he want Philemon, I mean, Onesimus, to be his partner in the gospel? Right. Yeah. But yes, I do think he's referring to uh, releasing him. But here's another thing in the, some of the different scholars that are more experts in the Greco-Roman culture. They would say just because you had freedom in that culture didn't mean you weren't obligated to your master. Right, right. So it's just a different culture. And even, than, free, even yeah. freed slaves continued working for their master. Yeah, and there was still an obligation to right, them. Right, right. Yeah. And in some cases, it, was not a, it wouldn't be a good idea to be out on your own. Right. And I know people don't like to hear that. Uh, because we all Americans were all so much about freedom, mm -hmm. so Paul is wants this slave to be liberated, but more than just his freedom is to be perceived yeah. and known and accepted as a brother in the Lord forever, mm -hmm. and that's the way we need to treat every human being, right. no matter where they are, especially if they're a member mm -hmm. of the family of God. Mm -hmm. So I, I just feel like this episode just drives home the twofold warning of like. We need to understand the culture that the Bible was written in first off so we can actually know what's being communicated. We can actually know Paul's not being manipulative. He's actually, you know, operating within the cultural convention. This would be normal. Um, but then two, we need to be careful. We need to know the culture so we don't extrapolate it right out to our culture and make, mm -hmm. make this letter say something that it's not saying. And we need to be okay with that. So it's not saying, you know, all slavery is bad, upend all of society right now. That's not what it's going for. And we need to know the culture that it's operating in to understand the nuances right. of that. So we understand what it says and we understand what it doesn't say. Well, it's the bigger issue. Uh, and I, and because the listeners, uh, there may be, just so there's not any misunderstanding, the bigger issue for Paul is if you can see other believers, no matter what status they are, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that sets people free 
to then make decisions which are then in the best interest of your brother and sister in the mm-hmm. Lord, yeah, which good. would be freedom. Mm-hmm. And if for some reason it wasn't freedom because they wouldn't fare as well uh, on their own at that point, then it would be uh, treat your uh, people in your household or who you're responsible for as you serve the Lord, know that you have a master in heaven yourself mm-hmm. and treat others with respect mm-hmm. and dignity. That's good. It's perfect. So that, that, yeah. yeah. That's good. And that's that's how we are responsible actors in the story. I would caution um, the readers. There's a lot out there where people take guesses and educated guesses and even do articles like this where they propose um, things that Paul didn't intend, like uh, making one of his letters fit into a rhetorical form that Paul, it doesn't fit neatly. And so someone could... You know, you could. So, those of you that are interested in more Bible study and maybe even reading an article like this, I would warn you, even with my own article, don't take it as God's truth. Uh, you would need to spend some time, uh, you know, learning, asking the right questions. Just because someone presents an idea that's cultural doesn't mean we embrace it right away, which is why I like having uh, people like um, Dr. Clem and Ben. Uh, people that are students of God's word to toss these ideas around like we are right now mm-hmm. so that we can come to, uh, we can sift through what really is valid. And usually when something's true, it kind of yeah. hits resonates. with everybody. Right, right. It does. Like there's a sense of, yeah. That, so there like, is some caution to, right. to, no, to venturing good. outside of scripture I appreciate to your, cultural issues. Yeah, and these discussions all happen in the bounds of friendship. Right. To bring it full circle. Right. Well, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dave. That was that was absolutely fabulous. Thank Thanks so for much. having me, guys. It was it was our joy. Original music for this podcast was created by John Horton. Her graphics were designed by Virginia Stroud, and this episode was mixed and mastered by yours truly. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next time here on the Everyday Story Podcast.